c'est vrai. Je suis un ananas. Now, in the uh, towers of uh, Edmonton... I'm not a tower, I don't speak on both sides. I do not use crack cocaine, nor am I an addict of crack cocaine. Welcome back to Fat French and Fabulous. I'm Jessica. And I am a very hot version of Janelle. Yeah, this version of Janelle is sitting in a room that is 34 degrees Celsius. Actually, that's the temperature outside. I live on a fourth floor walk-up with a skylight. And I have the air <laughs> I have the air conditioning off because it's too loud to run it while I'm recording. So I'm literally suffering for my art right now. <laughs> yeah, I I Be grateful. I'm also Sitting in the hot box that is my room, waiting for sweet, merciful death. <laughs> um, this is an episode recorded entirely in sports bras. Use your imagination. <laughs> <laughs> or don't. That's it's your choice. We're wearing the bare minimum and a sheen of sweat. Are you also sitting in your bedroom in a sports bra? Uh, I'm actually in a pink floral nightie. But it is very loose and flowing, and I pref- I, I appreciate the airflow. <laughs> <laughs> Almost twins. All right. <laughs> no, I yeah, I was literally making Canada Day plans today, and Ash Hulovich, our, our artist, was like, oh yeah, you know, make sure to wear red and white. And to which my immediate response was, uh, I shall arrive naked as the day God made me, and allow the sun to carve patriotism into my skin by way of an absolutely lethal thunburn. <laughs> this is why your closest friend is a disembodied voice on a podcast. True. <laughs> no one else will have you. <laughs> I mean, you, you have enough distance that you're not personally responsible for my safety. And I think that's all that's keeping you sane. I don't have any children you can frighten. <laughs> no, I'm uh, supposed to be going to D.C. for the 4th of July because I'm pretending to be an American. And, ah, yes, uh, very delightful. The predicted temperature is both 37 degrees Celsius and raining. Because oh, it's... no. <laughs> yeah, because God's angry at me for probably this podcast. Your hair is going to be a sentient being. Yes. <laughs> You're not going to be having a bad hair day. You're going to be having an eldritch hair day. <laughs> it's going to be like tentacles. <laughs> Donald Trump will not be allowed to give his speech for his own safety. Because my <laughs> hair will take up the entire land area of D.C. People are going to walk outside. There's just going to be like a, a blonde hurricane has been in town. <laughs> Trap them in their homes. It's <laughs> great. So, so before I commit an unwitting act of domestic terrorism by Bad yes. Hair Day, uh, we gotta we gotta get some episodes recorded. Yes. Uh, today's subject is Project X Ray, a World War II civilian submitted plan to the U.S. government that came very close to actually being enacted by the American military. Civilian submitted is the most ominous mm. phrase in that sentence. Not a good start. As people are idiots. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, 100% of civilian submitted plans to the U.S. government in World War One were never used. If for World War II, they loosened up a little. I remember when people got to, like, submit their plans to stop the uh, oil leak into the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> and they were just, they were so exceptionally dumb. <laughs> like, uh, 
let's let's train sea turtles to just sit on the opening like just yeah. oh what if, no what if we sent a small dutch boy in <laughs> scuba gear to stick his thumb in the in the hole <laughs> i remember watching it on the news because the government actually ran out of ideas and had to solicit advice which is never a good sign and somebody no. was like let's take a bunch of barbershop hair clippings and then just stuff them in the pipe it works for my drain. Pretty much, it's like uh, if if that's if I can clog a shower drain, then surely that will stop the destruction of the Gulf of Mexico. So yeah. I'm already I should, should do it. I'm deeply afraid. I'm yeah. I'm deeply afraid. Preemptively clenched. I appreciate it. <laughs> now you all know that from time to time, the various governments of the world get to so up to some straight up supervillain bullshit, and. <laughs> I'm not talking regular run-of-the-mill evil here. I mean supervillain-style operatic nonsense, such as the CIA's 638 assassination plots against Cuban dictator Fidel Castro, including poison pens, booby-trapped seashells, and exploding cigars, or Project A-119, a planned alternative to the moon landings, which involved detonating a nuclear bomb on the lunar surface, with the intention of causing an explosion large enough to be seen through an amateur telescope, or faintly by the human eye. Just, just cartoon logic nonsense. Yeah, this plan was only discovered in the research leading up to a 1999 biography of Carl Sagan, who, as a young man, had been part of a team studying the likely effect of a nuclear blast in the vacuum of space. How do you keep that quiet your whole life? That would be the first thing I tell anybody as soon as, like, oh. NASA lets me go. I The, the barista asks my name at the coffee shop that's coming up. <laughs> I got to bomb the moon! And they're like, that's <laughs> great, but who is this for? <laughs> uh, the United States government has never acknowledged involvement in the study, because, of course, they haven't. Because it's dumb as uh, fuck. Yeah, it was later discovered that the Soviets had a similar plan to nuke the moon, known as Project E4, because of course they did. <laughs> there was a race to nuke the moon and we didn't get to learn about it? We've been robbed. Yeah. Truly. Just, I feel devastated. People are idiots, and that doesn't just mean <laughs> civilians. All people no, everywhere no. are idiots. At all times and in all places. Uh, <laughs> perhaps the most Bond villain the Cold War ever got was the U.S. and USSR's rival combat dolphin programs. Yes. Uh, the U.S. military dolphin program started in 1960 and is still very much active and includes sea lions in, in addition to dolphins. The animals are trained to assist in underwater mine detection, surveillance, and search and rescue. The dolphins are likewise the subject of sonar and torpedo research. Torpedo research here meaning studying how to design torpedoes based on dolphin anatomy and not testing torpedoes on dolphins. Oh, good that we clarified. So they're less mm. cruel than Maybelline. <laughs> That's the, <laughs> That's yeah, the unfortunate just, takeaway. The number of dolphins with winged eyeliner is a plague. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, uh, wow. Despite... Persistent rumors uh, that U.S. Navy denies training the dolphins to kill through headbutting enemy divers using compressed gas needles strapped to their heads. Uh, what? Richard O'Berry, former Navy officer and dolphin trainer for the 1960s television series Flipper, 
apparently turned down a CIA request to train dolphins to plant explosives on the undersides of ships. <laughs> See, what I enjoy is that you just know somebody at the military watched Flipper with his child and was like, genius, get that man on the phone immediately. Let's beat those Russians. Like, again... The the uh, if you if you look at our TV tropes page, the uh, unofficial motto of this show is "Don't eat lead," and the reason for that <laughs> is because left to their own devices, people will eat lead. Absolutely, because people are dumb. They'll eat it immediately. <laughs> like <laughs> lead poisoning is often cited as one of the principal causes of the decline of the Roman Empire, and we still put it in our pipes. <laughs> All of human history was just everybody being dumb and high and brain damaged in that order. <laughs> That's uh, how we got here. Similar reports claim that the Soviet military dolphin program likewise trained their cetacean soldiers to kill enemy frogmen or to drag them to the surface for capture, as well as to perform kamikaze bombing attacks on enemy submarines. That's That's adorable, but... <laughs> And yes, so horrifying. <laughs> a little. Uh, incidentally, the Soviet dolphin program transferred to the possession of Ukraine following the breakup of the USSR, but the Russians took control of the program once more after the annexation of Crimea in 2014. I was just going to say Russia doesn't have any warm water ports, and then I realized that makes me a goddamn nerd, so I kept my <laughs> mouth shut. That's why they annexed Crimea, because Crimea has Russia's now only warm water port, which I guess they needed not for ships, but mostly for dolphins. We live in the Batman universe. That's- I we very do. much believe that. This is- no. <laughs> I wish the Bond movies were kidding. I- but dolphins are not the only innocent sonar-enabled creatures to be enlisted into the existential struggle of human civilization against human civilization. Nor for that matter were they the first. Which brings us to Project X-Ray. And a man named Dr. Little Adams. Aww. An inventor and dental surgeon. Uh, what, say, did Dr. Adams invent? Well, first of all, a fried chicken vending machine. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> Genius. We don't even need to win military victories if we have fried chicken vending machines. Everyone else will just convert. They were winning hearts and minds here. <laughs> you just show up with a fried chicken vending machine and other people give you their country. That's that's really what went wrong in Iraq. <laughs> just, we forgot the lessons of history. Why use bombs when you can use heart disease? <laughs> we're gonna take them down from the inside. <laughs> Clog their arteries until they give in. This offered me a job, U.S. military. I can do this. Put me in, coach. <laughs> as 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 two civilians who are not citizens, we would like to make some submissions. <laughs> <laughs> but second of all, he invented a system of expedited ship-to-ship, ship-to-shore, and shore-to-ship air mail transfer involving a ground-based hook and cable snaring device that meant the plane never had to touch down, saving several hours on each round trip. I mean, that's, that sounds useful, but it also sounds like something Wiley Coyote would use to catch the Roadrunner, so I'm reserving judgment. Uh, this system was never widely used, uh, and is largely historically irrelevant, beyond that it earned Dr. Little Adams an introduction to First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt, to whom he demonstrated the system in person. Oh, fun! Dr. Adams, a licensed pilot, 
also got to fly President Franklin Roosevelt, or as I like to think of him, Mr. Eleanor Roosevelt, around (laughs) in his private plane to show the president his invention, which doesn't feel like it should have been allowed. No, you should not get to take the president on a private airplane. Absolutely not. You you really shouldn't take children under 18 or anyone with a desire to live into a private airplane. No, they're very dangerous. Especially in the 1940s. Cessnas are dangerous now. I I didn't mention this in our episode on non-fatal airplane incidents. Commercial airplanes are far less dangerous than private airplanes. Yeah, because it's basically a toy boat with wings. It's just held up by luck and you making sounds with your mouth. That's what keeps a Cessna in the air. Yeah, and this technology has not existed for that long at that time. No, we're not far removed from, like, the Wright brothers. Dr. Adams first heard of the attacks on Pearl Harbor in December 1941 on the way back from a trip to the Car- to Carlsbad Caverns, home of the world's largest colony of bats. And somewhere deep in his strange, strange little mind, he got an idea. Oh no. On J- January 12th, 1942, he sent a letter to the White House outlining his plan. To take hundreds, perhaps thousands, of tiny little bats, strap them into tiny little bat backpacks, or if you prefer... Backpacks filled with incendiary explosives. These bats would be airdropped on the country of Japan, where they would hide in the, all the nooks and crannies of highly flammable traditional paper and wood Japanese houses and set the cities ablaze like tiny adorable kamikaze arsonists. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I'm in. <laughs> to quote Dr. Adams, the lowest form of animal life is the bat, all caps. Associated in history with the underworld and regions of darkness and evil. Until now, reasons for its creation have remained unexplained. Oh, I'm sorry. Is the world's only flying mammal not impressive enough for you? Yeah. Is an animal that can echolocate a process that we barely understand? Is Is that not good enough for you? Are you not entertained? Yeah, like, what are the reasons why the U.S. government still uses dolphins to find mines underwater is because dolphins still exceed the capacity of mechanical sonar. <laughs> do they really? That's genuinely impressive. Oh, yeah, they do. It's expected that once uh, mechanical sonar exceeds that of dolphins, then dolphins will be phased out of the military. The Which... reason why we're still using them is we still need them. The, I've just had a, a, a vivid picture in my mind of just the U.S. military executing dolphins. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're useless probably to us not. Now. Probably not. That's... Just... <laughs> Excuse me while we liquidate the dolphin unit. No, no, I don't think so. I think like, they just the... let them go. <laughs> I, I feel like dolphins are very expensive too. It's like, all right, it, yeah, you, you might cost more than an airplane. We're keeping the dolphins. Mm -hmm. You're cuter than a Cessna. You get to live. If you declassified that, or if you got the whistle blown on you for literally physically liquidating your dolphin program, (laughs) I don't think the government would survive. People would just hand over the country to Vladimir Putin. I mean, they already are, in a sense, but they'd be faster about it. There's a lot of things the American populace will put up with, we've found out over the last decade. Like, the government literally spying on every man, woman, and child in an incredibly invasive way. Thanks, NSA. But they will not put up with 
just straight up icing some dolphins in the <laughs> Bay of Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you delay a hand on Flipper, you fascist fucks. Mm, never mind if those dolphins are veterans. You can't kill veteran dolphins. Not in the United States of America. <laughs> that's, that's the worst possible thing. Like the worst hypothetical thing you could ever do. <laughs> Bats, however, are free reign. Just ice those fuckers. I just like that this guy presumably had seen an earthworm before and was like, no, this thing that's head and Bats. anus are indistinguishable. It's still better than the bat. <laughs> I just, I think he was being rhetorically dramatic, but I can name, like, ten, like, leeches. You're not supposed to have Leeches? Yeah, I was gonna say, you're not allowed to have a flair for the dramatic in scientific military documents. No! Those are the two most humorless kinds of document, and he's just like, fuck bats. (laughs) Like, this is not a time and place where we particularly value the life of animals you don't have to make that much of an argument for it he's just like bats are the joey fatone of the animal kingdom like that's not (laughs) that's not a thing you can say to the military as a scientist (laughs) well i mean he's a dentist in his defense that's worse um (laughs) yeah dr adams went further in his letter as I vision it, the millions of bat that have for ages inhabited our belfries, tunnels, and caverns were placed there by God to await this hour to play their part in the scheme of free human existence and to frustrate any attempt to, of those who would dare desecrate our way of life. <laughs> I mean, I think bats are on this planet because it would currently be ruled by mosquitoes if they didn't exist. But... Oh, they eat millions of tons of, of, of insects a day day in the southern southwestern united states you should be praising these bats they're the only reason we haven't been eaten alive by the mosquito menace no they're for world war ii jessica (laughs) the dentist has spoken created by god to protect the american way of life (laughs) a dentist told me yes god spoke unto a dentist whose previous greatest accomplishment was finding a better way to yeet mail off an airplane hey i don't think that was his greatest achievement we're still we're that's still below fried chicken as far as i'm concerned (laughs) a fried chicken vending machine and the godly purpose of the bat that's his that's his cv (laughs) that is that is his uh that is his calling to the world if no one but an intern relegated to sorting the ma- the mail had ever seen this letter, nothing might have came of it. But remember, Dr. Adams was acquainted with Eleanor Roosevelt, who made sure her husband, the president, saw it. Oh no. Roosevelt, the man one, forwarded the letter on to William Wild Bill Donovan, the head of the Office of Strategic Services, precursor organization to the CIA. Quote, this man is not a nut. It sounds like a perfectly wild idea, but is worth linking into. They're like, well, he wasn't crazy in the past. That chicken vending machine had promise. Mm. Said the president. Let's round up some suicidal bats and see how that goes. Donovan, of course, isn't going to tell the president no to his face. So instead, he hands the idea over to the National Defense Research Committee, whose other projects include the atomic bomb. No big deal. Casually drop that on the resume. Meanwhile, Adams managed to get 
Harvard scientist and premier bat expert Donald Griffin, who discovered echolocation, to write a letter of his own supporting the plan to the NDRC in April 1942, because he may have only been a short Pennsylvanian dentist with a non-insignificant resemblance to a beardless Santa Claus, but Dr. Little Adams had charisma. And he's incredibly well-connected. Who just has the man who discovered echolocation on speed dial? To quote Donald Griffin's letter, This proposal seems bizarre and visionary at first glance, but if executed competently it would have every chance of success. So he's just set himself up to just, if it doesn't work, it's because it wasn't done competently. It's not because training bats to kill people is an ob- objectively absurd idea. It's, it's, the, it's all in the execution. Not that I'm hedging. He later questioned his role in this due to the ethics of the situation. Not necessarily due to the uh, competence thereof. I would question uh, the structural integrity of my skull if I <laughs> came to 20 years from now and realized I'd spent the bulk of my life training suicidal bats. The Adams Plan, as it was then known, was placed under the supervision of the Army Air Force, and Adams was allowed to form his own team. Adams chose a Los Angeles museum mammologist and his two student assistants, both high schoolers, a pilot-turned-movie actor, a lobster-fisherman-turned-marine, two pairs of brothers, and Patricio Patsy Batista, an ex-gangster who may or may not have worked under Al Capone. This is one albino man away from being a Dan Brown novel. <laughs> not even, like, a particularly dumb Dan Brown novel. This is, like, a mid-tier no. Dan Brown novel. Also... I will gladly fight Dan Brown on a pile of certificates for fields that don't exist. Absolutely. <laughs> fight me on your symbolology degree. I dare you. Oh, the fact that there is a literal plot point in one of his books where they have a bunch of linguists have trouble translating a text because they don't realize that those aren't Chinese symbols, they're actually Japanese symbols, is the dumbest shit I've ever heard. I took three years of high school Japanese, I took two years of college Japanese, I can recognize Japanese on site. Yeah, literally everyone <laughs> who has ever spoken Japanese or watched more than one anime knows <laughs> the Japanese got their writing system from the Chinese. We all know that, unless you're a stupid novelist who has only looked this up briefly on the internet. <laughs> I throw my phone across the room once a day in an attempt to kill the Duolingo owl, and I still know this. <laughs> Why won't he die? It's an aggressive owl. <laughs> I have to kill him before he kills my family. You miss another day, Janelle. <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen to your mother. <laughs> Adams actually unilaterally promoted several members of his team to the status of acting non-commissioned officer within the Army Air Force. This is yeah. ev every, every bit of this is upsetting and is a colossal waste of everyone's time. Including Devel a dentist who makes vending machines. It's, this is still <laughs> a waste of his time. He is still... Actively undermining and wasting his education. And I say that, we say that, as a pair of graduate, former graduate students. <laughs> Who do this, this with podcast. our spare time? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I mean, if anyone knows anything about wasting an education. <laughs> it's the two of us. Development of the incendiary device that would be strapped to these precious little mice of the sky was handed to an or- organic chemist at Harvard, Dr. Lewis Pfizer, better known as the inventor of napalm. Napalm being a combination of petroleum and a gelling agent that results in a semi-solid liquid that burns extremely hotly and sticks to everything and everyone it touches. Pleasant. The bat species chosen for the mission was the extremely populous Mexican free-tailed bat, which weigh anywhere from 7 to 12 grams, or if you prefer, uh, 0.25 to 0.42 ounces and can fly carrying up to 18 grams, or 0.63 ounces of additional weight. Wait, holy shit! (laughs) Are they sky ants? (laughs) Yeah, I for one admire any species that can pack around 1.5 to 3 times its own weight. And fly! Yeah, and fly! It's like if I could sprint while carrying a refrigerator, and that refrigerator was full of napalm. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Wow. I mean, that's the only useful component of bats. There's not a chance you can train those fuckers to go where you want. But the first part is impressive. Yeah, like, I didn't know this, but this is apparently what inspired Dr. Little Adams in the first place, <laughs> was this particular fun fact about Mexican free-tailed bats. <laughs> free-tailed bats are not the biggest bat. No. No, they're tiny. They're tiny! They pick them because they're fairly common and relatively large. Like, a mastiff bat could apparently carry, like, a pound. I don't even want to know what, like, a flying fox, which are old world fruit bats, have six foot wingspans. They're enormous. I don't even want to know what you could do if, what, how many explosives you could strap to at that a point, f- flying I think like, fox. I think you give up on explosives at that point and just go with strategically kidnapping important children. You just demoralize the enemy by taking their kids with bats. I'm I'm willing to bet a flying fox could steal a baby. Like a reverse stork. <laughs> <laughs> flying foxes are the reverse stork. Noted. I will jot that down. <laughs> and like, the funny thing about flying foxes is like, they literally have faces like little dogs. Like, flying foxes strongly remind me of my sister's poodle. <laughs> oh, they're adorable. I was gonna say- They're the, the cutest. The thing that makes me laugh about this plan is that, like, I have a chihuahua, which is basically the closest you can come to owning a bat. She's basically a bat with no wings and a worse diet. And training her is futile and pointless. So training an actual bat is its no. just a waste of everybody's time. These are wild animals. <laughs> My yeah, my chihuahua can't learn how to sit without short circuiting and falling off a couch. So this probably didn't go into the ND uh the NDRC's decision making, but Mexican free-tailed bats are also incredibly fast with a level flight speed, so non-diving, of over 160 kilometers per hour or 100 miles per hour, which is great because it lets you lose bombs faster. These things move so fast 
You couldn't catch up to them with a car. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. So this plan has the power to go wrong incredibly quickly. (laughs) Yeah. Pfizer's finished device had a flammable celluloid plastic casing filled with napalm and a timed ignition source. A bit like a Capri Sun juice pouch filled with fiery death. The device (laughs) weighed a total of 17.5 grams. That's great. A Capri Sun pouch full of napalm that can go faster than a Toyota Camry. What could go wrong? (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't trust a high schooler with this kind of carnage. And a high schooler is not a confused bat being dropped over Japan. (laughs) So it's important to give high schoolers that praise. You're a mess, son, and your face looks like pizza. But at least you're not a confused bat being dropped on a foreign power. (laughs) At the very least. (laughs) Mexican free-tailed bats incidentally, also have the dearest little faces, and I would never set fire to any of them, not even to defeat the Japanese. (laughs) Priorities with Jessica. (laughs) I just... I mean, I understand this was an existential battle, but they are very cute. (laughs) Oh no, I looked them up. They're so adorable! Aww. That's... They look like little Biancas, but, you know, horrible, because bats are all kind of horrible. Yeah, they'll give you rabies. Oh, there's that. Why wouldn't they just go with that? Just release bats into Japan. People will pet them, they'll get rabies. It's upsetting enough. (laughs) It has a built-in weapon. You don't need to give it napalm. That's unnecessary. (laughs) It already has teeth and blood filled with disease. (laughs) (laughs) Just introduce rabies into the ecosystem and wait 20 years. The first test took place in May 1943 at Murdoch Dry Lake in the Mojave Desert, which seems like the kind of lake a desert should have. True. Uh, It did not go well. (laughs) The bats captured in the Carlsbad Caverns, with special permission from the United States Park Service, were refrigerated for transport, forcing them into hibernation. Which strikes me as wise in the sense that I would not like to share a vehicle of any kind with 3,500 panic bats and tiny suicide vests. But what if Um, they're in a refrigerator? Is that better somehow? I don't know. At least they're not upset. (laughs) This doesn't sound like a real thing that happened. It it sounds like we're discussing an episode of, I don't, fucking The Simpsons. Like, this doesn't sound real. Yeah, we have to refrigerate the bats so we can drop them on Japan without them getting upset first. Naturally. <laughs> what, what else would we do with bats other than put them in a fridge? <laughs> Sh- sure. <laughs> After having a, an incendiary bomb glued to their chests, uh, 140 of the bats were placed in tiny little trays in a device principally similar to the casing of a bomb. Um, that's 140 each. There was still 3,500 bats. Um, so we, we wanted to be extra certain in case one of them didn't deploy properly, apparently. Um. <laughs> Just this frozen bat falls to the earth without defrosting. God, that's tragic. Yeah, um, you were a little more prescient than I think you'd like. No! Uh, shortly after deployment... The bomb would release a parachute floating down to an altitude of 4,000 feet, then break apart, releasing the bats. 
Theoretically, after being removed from refrigeration, it would take only a short time for the bats to wake up, and the parachutes would give them time to come to full alertness. Unfortunately, the first chest drop from a B, the B-25 bomber released the bats at an altitude of only 5,000 feet, meaning that most of the bats failed to wake up, and the test succeeded only in raining a highly geographically isolated hailstorm of comatose bats onto the desert floor. <laughs> It's not funny, but it's a little funny. No. Oh my god. I didn't want that to be how this ended. I didn't want to be right. I mean, I usually want to be right, but this is this is an exception. See, you're just, you're I, I like it so much because you're trying to be hyperbolic. You're like, what's the most awful thing that could ever possibly happen in this situation? And... <laughs> no! Oh no, bouncing comatose bats. <laughs> it's adorable and yet so sad. It's tragic. Oh my god. Just in their little, in their little vests. <laughs> Can you imagine the psychological warfare, though, if you just rained <laughs> comatose bats on random Japanese civilians? I'd, I'd be upset. You wouldn't hurt them, but I feel like you'd confuse the shit out of them. I'd be distraught. They're like, no, we can't go to war with these people anymore. These people are crazy. Yeah, these people are fucked up. <laughs> Like either that or it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna steady the Japanese resolve because they they just they they need to take you out, you fucking monsters. <laughs> How dare you do this to something so cute? <laughs> the second bat bomb test, because that clearly wasn't enough, uh, took place at the Carlsbad Army Airfield Auxiliary Air Base, which had the advantage of easy cavern access and lower transport time, meaning lower bat refrigeration time. Uh, unfortunately, as it oh. was an especially warm summer day, no. many many of the bats woke up early, escaping before they could be placed on the plane, but so not just... before being fitted with tiny explosive bat packs whose timers were ticking down. No! Oh my god, this is almost worse. Bouncing them off the earth, we're just gonna burn them. 200 kilometers from here. They're not gonna have a goddamn clue why this is happening. Several of the escaped bats flew into the empty test village in the middle of the desert and successfully burnt it to cinders. The other bats, however, flew into the active airfield's barracks, control tower, and hangars, setting them alight. No! All of this is so dumb. This is so dumb. Oh. Uh, as the project was highly classified and having firefighters on hand was deemed conspicuous, no one was available to respond in case of the highly probable eventuality that the wild animals they were gluing to flimsy sacks of napalm might escape <laughs> and set fire to something they weren't supposed to. <laughs> I can't. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no 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 no. This is like crashing your Jeep into a guardrail to kill a fly. Like, yeah, you achieved what you set out to, but at what cost? This is this is a Pyrrhic victory if ever there was one. Again, due to this secrecy, the commander of the airbase, who had not been briefed, was denied <laughs> access when he arrived with his fire team. 
<laughs> and they had to watch it burn to the ground. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, military chain of command saves the day once again. The army shortly thereafter canceled the project. <laughs> oh, dear God. And you know, while, while we were talking about this, I googled to see, like, does Japan have bats? Would they be confused to see a rain of bats? No, not only does Japan have bats, Japan has all the really big bats. <laughs> all those old world fruit bats all live in Japan. So they're just <laughs> like, well, this isn't intimidating at all, except that it's on fire. <laughs> Just seeing, like, these tiny versions of the far more terrifying thing you're used to, and then they just explode into flames. <laughs> just flop dead onto the tarmac and then... Unless they get eaten by flying foxes, in which case you just have a flying fox burp, I guess. I mean, flying foxes probably wouldn't eat them. They prefer fruit. Oh. Mm. And They're not, not really children. very fox-like at all. Oh, well, that's disappointing. Yeah. They are, however, terrifying. Oh, they are. They're huge. Highly recommend looking up a uh, fruit bat, flying fox yeah. fruit bat, because they will fuck up your dreams. They and will your children haunt your nightmares. They're vegetarian, nightmares. but they're terrifying. <laughs> but they're not on fire, which I've learned is a very important feature of bats. Yeah. That's no guarantee. Yeah, they're not flying <laughs> firefoxes. <laughs> oh <Although>. my god. <laughs> oh. This was not to be the end, however. No. As Louis, as Louis de Haven, um, or is it Louis de Haven? I should have looked this up. I actually couldn't <laughs> find the pronunciation of whether or not it was Louis or Louis. Only um, you would lose sleep over this. It's it's part of my honor as a language student. Um, <laughs> Mr. de Haven, uh, a marine general who had observed the test, was impressed enough, at least conceptually, that he recommended that, that the Navy pick up the bat bomb program. <laughs> well, you burned down the Air Force base. Partial credit. He might have just found it funny, to be honest. They, I find it. I do. <laughs> they got a half mark for burning down their own base. That's great. Undeniably effective. <laughs> uh, it is from the Navy that the Adams Plan got its formal codename, Project X-Ray. Navy tests began in December of 1943, but it quickly became clear that a far more powerful incendiary device would be necessary before the bat bombs could be viable as a military strategy. A second round of tests with a more powerful incendiary was scheduled for August 1944. When it became clear that the bombs wouldn't be ready for deployment until mid-1945 at the earliest, the project was finally cancelled. Oh, we're not going to have them on time. Devin, oh, no. we, we were having an arms race between nuclear weapons and fire bats, and the fire bats <laughs> just weren't ready on schedule. What a... <laughs> what a shame. <laughs> we can't figure out how to refrigerate a bat, but we can split an atom. Yeah, we are... We are a, we are a species of many... Of, of many paradoxes. Fleet Admiral Ernest King cited the shortcomings of the fundamental idea in the cancellation, which is fleet admiral for it was stupid to begin with, I believe. Uh, X-Ray had likewise been overtaken by a far more promising military project of the Manhattan variety, as to, to which Janelle alluded. <laughs> um, <laughs> At this point, though, anything is more is more promising than that. Like, let's just... Let's just airdrop bananas on Japan and hope they get potassium poisoning. Like, that's that's a yeah. better military strategy than whatever the fuck bats were doing. 
let's let's just fire disappointing box sets of the final season of Game of Thrones. Just <laughs> that's... there's just there's so many better ideas. Uh, in total, the U.S. military spent an estimated two million dollars on the project, around thirty million in modern terms. <laughs> oh, I'm angry now. That. <laughs> Government waste! <laughs> I mean, that's just way too much money to set fire to innocent bats. <laughs> <laughs> I wish the government still, still took suggestions. Like, alright, give me $30 million to set bats on fire. I can top that. It's like Shark Tank for animal cruelty. <laughs> I, have, I have ideas I want fish and game to consider. <laughs> uh, Can I hunt humans for sport? Consider it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to weaponize raccoons. Partial credit. Before you think Project X-Ray was a complete non-sequitur in the history of the U.S. military during World War II, another idea, la la labeled Project Fantasia, likewise managed to reach the testing stage before somebody with enough authority to pull the plug came to their senses. Uh, Project Fantasia was an at-best culturally insensitive and at-worst at outright racist concept inspired by the depiction of Kitsune, mischievous fox spirits in Japanese Shintoism. Oh, I'm so which, nervous. I am which, so nervous. <laughs> which involves spray-painting actual live foxes with glow-in-the-dark phosphorescent paint and setting them loose upon the beaches of Japan. Which achieves... what, exactly? I think they thought it'd be demoralizing and frightening because, I don't know, maybe they thought being Japanese meant that you don't have object permanence or a basic concept of what a fox in spray paint looks like. <laughs> because today it just sounds like the most Instagrammable thing I've ever heard. Oh, it'd be adorable. The thing that's about this is they would have never tried this against the Germans. No, it's dumb. Absolutely not. This is stupid. <laughs> the the worst possible outcome is that Hayao Miyazaki makes kind of a mediocre film about it. That's about the worst thing you can possibly do to this country. And, and that man is quality. He'd probably make a genuinely good film about it. Right? I'm kind of sad we don't have a Hayao Miyazaki movie about a glow-in-the-dark fox. General MacArthur apparently also thought this was kind of dumb. Not only because the paint would probably wash off and beaches are notably rather wet. <laughs> to prove him wrong, the OSS dumped a couple of painted foxes into the Chesapeake Bay, which only washed off most of the paint, at which point the foxes licked off the rest. There are YouTube prank channels that have more military ingenious than this. This sounds like a frat dare, but it's somehow dumber, and also it costs millions of dollars of taxpayer money. Yeah, the OSS attempted a second test, undeterred, this time with 30 foxes, and set them loose in New York City's Central Park. Why? Successfully terrifying scores of innocent park-goers into fleeing. <laughs> we're New Yorkers. We've, we're afraid of every wildlife that isn't a rat. Last year, a raccoon was seen in Central Park, because raccoons live there, like normally, like that's not even a weird thing, and some lady called in that there was a tiger loose in Central Park. <laughs> We are we're that clueless as a city. We're that out of touch with nature that we can't even tell a raccoon, which again, there's a gazillion of in this godforsaken concrete jungle. We see one of those from a distance and we're like, that's definitely a Siberian tiger. That makes sense to me. Call the NYPD. 
There's literally no difference between a tiger and a fourth perspective raccoon. If you released Glow in the Dark Foxes into Central Park today, we would eat each other out of confusion. It'd be like the purge. <laughs> All laws would be suspended. Emergency services would shut down. They'd have to close off the island. You have to quarantine all of Manhattan. <laughs> of course, this was all taking place very shortly before the explosive end of the war with Japan, so Project Fantasia and the fantastic glowing fox roundup quickly came to a close before they could figure out how to waterproof them. Oh god, I mean, the, the fact that they didn't need them because nuclear bomb is kind of horrific, but it's so dumb. It's so dumb. It's so dumb. So... I learned something from Douglas MacArthur's Wikipedia page oh, no. that I need to share with you. This is this is going nowhere good. His father was named Arthur MacArthur. Specifically, his name was Arthur MacArthur Jr., which means that his grandfather was named Arthur MacArthur Sr. <laughs> and then when their kid came along, they were like, shall he be Arthur MacArthur III? No, spare the boy. <laughs> No, because uh, Arthur MacArthur III was Douglas MacArthur's older brother, and then Douglas MacArthur named his own son Dar uh, Arthur MacArthur IV. Uh, Arthur MacArthur III named his his son uh, Douglas MacArthur Arthur II. It's like a joke that never gets less funny for like a hundred and ten years. Like I think you have to go through an arc with that name, where you get tormented for the first twenty years, you would sort of adjust to it over the next ten years. And then, by the time you have a kid, you are dead enough inside that you want to inflict this upon them, too. <laughs> See, in my family, the worst name we have is that I have a cousin named Cole, which <laughs> is only because my cousin had an incomplete understanding of the Beach Boys and didn't understand why naming her son Colcomo would be a problem. <laughs> Every time we see this poor kid, my dad just breaks out into Bermuda, Bahama. Yeah, it's... <laughs> Less funny than Arthur MacArthur the Fourth, but it's up there. It's 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 good. <laughs> Your family just hasn't had the commitment to inflict that on four generations of people yet. <laughs> we'll get there. And before you think this kind of questionable military application of innocent fauna was exclusive to the Americans, the British had one of their very own, known as Blue Peacock. Oh, was please what? Because because peacocks. No, no, there was no peacocks involved. Uh, it was what? This was named using the Rainbow Codes system, which involved combining random colors with a list of random nouns as a way of obscuring the nature of classified programs. Uh, Project Purple Possum, for instance, was a toxic nerve agent. Oh, it sounded adorable, but th then no. Yeah. But then no. No. Blue Peacock, previously Blue Bunny, previously, previously Brown Bunny was a 1950s proposal to implant wire or timer-detonated 10-kiloton nuclear landmines on the North German plain in case of a Soviet, Soviet invasion via East Germany. Oh, yeah, that's not cute. That's way no. less adorable than glow-in-the-dark foxes. Yeah, this was, the, this was the case that introduced me to the concept of a nuclear landmine. And... I'm upset. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> They're like regular landmines. Those aren't awful enough. Yeah. Nuclear landmines. Well, you know, it's bad enough that you're going to lose a leg if you step on a bouncing Betty. What if you also 
made the land uninhabitable as a second Chernobyl for the next thousand generations. Fun. A major logistical flaw in the plan, other than the obvious, was that the cold winter (laughs) temperatures in in the area might render the mine's electronic systems inoperable. Oh, that's the biggest flaw here. Meaning that they wouldn't detonate when activated or tampered with. So the plan was, in case of a likely Soviet invasion, the mines would be buried either and either the eight-day timer set or a three-mile wire strung back to command to be detonated remotely. The mines were to be tamper-proofed and fitted with tilt switches that would set off a ten-second timer in case of any attempt to move or disarm them. One plan for how to deal with the temperature problem was to wrap the components in fiberglass insulation. But another was to fill the mines with live chickens, and enough water and feed to keep them lively and occupied not to peck anything. I'm sorry, what? Yes. The plan what fucking was... words did you just deliver into my ears? The, no. The alternative to fiberglass insulation was some <laughs> live chickens and enough food to keep them occupied for eight days. <laughs> Oh, no. Nope. Humans are not allowed to have war. We're not... We're not smart enough. Yeah. I, we, we should have... We should have... We need a timeout. We need to be sent to a corner to think about what we've done. Because this was an actual serious military document that really existed and was seriously considered. Because when I think of an animal that will just sort of lie there and not move too much, I definitely think chicken. That's not an animal that panics when you get too close to it or move it or it's dark, you know? (laughs) Can you imagine if the British had irradiated the German countryside because a chicken got bored and pecked the (laughs) wrong wire? (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine what that would sound like? Just... (laughs) Just a a hailstorm of feathers and radiation. And apparently, the reason for this is that that chickens have relatively high body temperatures, around 41 Celsius or 106 Fahrenheit, normal human body temperature being around 37 Celsius or 98 Fahrenheit. Do you know what else is warm? Fiberglass insulation. And it's not a chicken. Yeah, (laughs) it's not a living animal. (laughs) (laughs) That cannot be overstated enough. Yeah, at least they're not wild animals like bats. If you were seriously suggesting just stuffing these bombs full of bats, I'd be seriously concerned. But even as domestic animals, they're not particularly biddable. That's why we don't take military strategy from the Flintstones. Two blue peacock prototypes were created... But the plan was cancelled for entirely chicken-unrelated reasons before they were ever implemented. First of all, they were so heavy as to be entirely logistically unwieldy, weighing in at over 7 tons, or 1,600 pounds. (laughs) With or without chickens? I think that was without chickens. I think that was sans chicken. I don't think they would have been terribly heavier with chicken, considering the average chicken is about three pounds or 2.5. It's the unchickened weight. Yeah, that's the unchickened weight. You know, they haven't put in the warhead or the chickens yet. 
Further, there was the obvious consequences of blowing tons of irradiated dirt into the sky to rain down on the surrounding countryside. Probably bad. Probably bad. The plan- unpopular, at the very least. The plan was scrapped (laughs) in February 1958 and remained classified until April 1st, 2004, when it was released to the public and understandably taken to be some kind of joke. Yes, it's on a comedy podcast now. (laughs) Because it's funny. Yeah, they released this shit on April Fool's. (laughs) 2004. Oh, life is funny. To quote the spokesperson of the National Archives, the civil service does not do jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's appropriately British. I like it. And that, in short, is a brief military history of some absolute Batman villain nonsense. That is some fuckery. Holy shit. <laughs> oh. oh, I'm exhausted. I don't trust anyone anymore. I can't. I. Oh my god. Uh, to think my life and safety teeters on whether or not some. God damn idiot has a refrigerator full of fruit bats. Just if a chicken gets bored, we're all gonna die. <laughs> oh, military history is dumb. All history is dumb. I'm all for those refrigerator bats. That's all that I want. Huh, there's nothing better on a hot summer's evening than a nice cool bat. <laughs> Wow, I'm changed as a person for having learned all those things. Yeah. You're probably worse off, but... Oh, if my life is irrevocably worse, I have less faith in everybody than I've ever had. I, I have, I've lost so many brain cells just dedicating <laughs> my time and thought to this. But at the same time, oh. doesn't it make you feel glad to be alive? I'm more cynical now than I was as a 13-year-old pressing play on a Limp Biscuit album. But other than that... <laughs> oh, it's cathartic. <laughs> Nothing matters and life is nonsense. I feel better. Yes. So, we hope you're feeling a lot less confident in the safety of the Western world. Um, <laughs> I have been Jessica. And I have been Janelle. And we are fat, fat French, French, and, and fabulous. fabulous. Yeah. <laughs>